0: Hello, I am Anika Orok, author of The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, and you are listening to the fabulous Baseball and Barbecue Podcast with Jeff and Len. The gods are here. Some sauce, fire up the Barbie. Len and Jeff, welcome you. Here's baseball and barbecue.
1: Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musics Podcast, and you are listening to Jeff and Len. On baseball and barbecue one of my favorite podcasts and i know it's one of yours too the only problem is after i get done listening to it i'm hungry all right guys take it away This is episode 82 of Baseball and Barbecue. Oh yeah, there's nothing like opening up episode 82 with the King of Darkness or the Prince of Darkness or whatever they called him, Ozzy Osbourne. I am Leonard Abberman, and I am here with my Prince of Darkness darkness or your prince of darkness or whatever <laughs> jeff cohen <Darkness>. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you mr darkness there uh, leonard how are you i love surprising you with the different intros i like seeing you i'm not like seeing your, your face <laughs> <one>. <laughs> oh come on you got you know what there's nothing that gets you that you, gets you excited like uh, gets the blood coursing through the veins like that this is episode 82 this is, I guess, another bonus episode. Another bonus. It's going to be a short one today. A short episode. Short,
2: short but powerful. Exactly. And it's only de- de- dedicated to baseball. So, no barbecue on this episode. We are talking about the Negro Leagues and Hinchcliffe Stadium. And we talked to a historian, Brian Lopinto.
1: Even though there is no barbecue on this episode, don't tune it out. All right. Listen to it and enjoy it because Brian Lopinto has a lot to say, and he's really fantastic guy. We had a great time talking to him, so you should definitely stay with us. Don't leave us. We did the heavy lifting. All you have to do is listen. Yes,
2: and and Brian is is very involved with the restoration of Hinchcliffe Stadium in Pass, New Jersey, which was home to the New York Black Yankees, the New York Eagles. New York Cubans and really the home field of Hall of Famer Larry Doby and some of the great great ball players have played in Hinchcliffe Stadium, including Josh Gibson. I believe Satchel Paige also pitched there. So this is a great stadium that they're trying to restore to its old glory.
1: And Jeff, there's a few things before we get to Brian. There's, a, there's there are a few things that I want to make sure we get to first. I'd like to send a shout out to an old friend of mine. It's been many years since I've seen him. Thankfully, due to Facebook, we've we've been able to reconnect. He is a big fan of the show. He's a huge baseball fan. Loves the Cincinnati Reds. His name is Tom Flynn. Shout out to Tom Flynn. Jeff, could you give me your famous shout out? Tom Flynn! There we go. So, Tom, I want to thank you for listening and just say... Hey Tom. All right. That's okay, If, out if you.
2: Tom wants to call or anybody else who wants to call the show, give us a call at 516 855 8214 Email us, baseball and at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. Tweet us. We're at baseball and BBQ. We have an Instagram account, baseball and barbecue. Barbecue's all spelled out. And we have check us our YouTube videos. And our website is ww
1: baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And Jeff, one other thing. Yes. We have some fantastic companies that we have had on the show. One of them is baseballbbq.com. They have incredible grilling tools. They're the grilling tools with the handles that are shaped like baseball bats. They've got spatulas. They've got the forks. They've got gear like hats and shirts. And you got to check them out. They are really great. Go to their website, gifts, birthday, anniversary, whatever. Check them out. And the other company that I want to say is fifthandcherry.com for their cutting boards, beautiful cutting boards. Check them out. And of course, we encourage you to go to the Pandemic Baseball Book Club, purchase their books, purchase some of their swag, help the authors out. I wanted to just bring that up, and then Jeff, we did have an untimely passing of a baseball Hall of Famer, baseball great. And uh, why don't you just give us a little tribute to him?
2: Yes, Tom Soto was a great ambassador to the game of baseball. He bled Dodger blue, and if anybody thinks that was an act. It wasn't. He, he loved Dodgers. He turned down offers from other teams to manage him, multiple year deals. He turned them all down, stayed with the Dodgers with one year deals because he, he loved Dodgers. You know, he was at that last game in the World Series. So his last game he ever saw was the Dodgers winning the World Series. He won two World Series as manager in 1981, happened to be a short strike shortened season. And also in 1988, we all remember the uh, Kirk Gibson home run. But he was a, a, he managed the World Baseball Classic USA. He was a coach on many
1: all-star teams, and he was just a, a fantastic ambassador to the game of baseball, and he will be missed. And if you want to hear more about Tommy Lasorda, we had on Jason Turnbow, who wrote the book, They Bled Blue.
2: What, they Bled Blue. They,
1: they Bled Blue. And in it, there's some amazing uh, – read the book, listen to our interview with him. Uh, what, I forget what episode that was, Jeff.
2: And go on YouTube and search Tommy Lasorda if you like some colorful language, because he could definitely use that, use that language.
1: <laughs> but what episode was was that? It was episode 75. 75. Really, that was... we. You know what? We missed out on interviewing him. We, we had a, a while, a long time when we first started this podcast. We had Chris Epting on. Turns out Chris Epting was close with Tommy Lasorda. And when we found out, we approached him. But at that time, Tommy Lasorda was older, wasn't giving interviews, certainly wasn't giving interviews to a fledgling podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's too bad. I would have really liked to speak to him. He really he loved the game of baseball. And you're right. He did bleed Dodger blue and just he seemed just like such a nice guy. But anyway, we we send our condolences to his uh, to his family. Yes, we do.
2: And with that, let's get to our interview with Brian Lopinto.
1: Some of our listeners may feel that fate brought us our next guest. Eh, Maybe it's a bit of fate, or maybe just being in the right place at the right time. But we learned of our next guest in a Zoom presentation on the Negro Leagues, which featured friend of the show and president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, Bob Kendrick. Hinchcliffe Stadium is a 10,000-seat stadium located in Patterson, New Jersey and whose construction ended in 1932, and then its true place in baseball history took place. It's been designated as a National Historic Landmark, and our guest can tell us all the details as to why this is a wonderful historical place worth saving as he serves as president of the Friends of Hinchcliffe Stadium. This is a cause which baseball and BBQ hopes to help And we are thrilled, absolutely thrilled, to welcome Brian Lopinto to baseball and barbecue. Brian, welcome.
3: Jeff, Leonard, thank you so much for inviting me and having me on your program. I really appreciate it.
1: So Brian, I'm gonna jump right in. I I wanna get to your background and and how you got involved with all of this. But first of all, give us, I'm sure we're gonna talk about this the whole time, but give us a basic background of Hinchcliffe Stadium and the history that makes it such a valuable landmark.
3: Sure. Well, first, I definitely want to make sure to mention that Hinchcliffe Stadium is one of the last remaining Negro League stadiums in the country. Uh, It's the only national historic landmark that honors baseball. And it's also the only sporting venue within the boundaries of a national park. So to say it has national significance is actually an understatement. As you mentioned earlier, the stadium opened in 1932. It opened in July of that year. So we were able to see some semblance of baseball toward the latter part of the summer. And there were some white baseball teams playing there, the Patterson Pros. Very unique name, right? The Patterson Pros and then the <laughs> City Club also played. But one thing that the sports promoters noticed in that first half season, that because the stadium opened in July of that year, as well as all of 1933, is that the sports promoters noticed that when African-American teams would play at Hinchelope Stadium, the attendance was higher. And I think that's simply because of the quality of play, because in my research, I was very interested to find out, well, who were going to these games? And it turned out the 1930 census had African-Americans at only 2.1% of the population. So I think that's very telling about Patterson as a whole and Hinchelof Stadium and why it was so special, just because, you know... A lot of times you you kind of wonder who were going to negro league games and i think patterson had a very unique set of circumstances because it was always a city of immigrants so uh that's a little something there just let's take you to 1933 and 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 that transition from the negro league teams being the visiting ball club to becoming the home team so in 1933 uh, this is at the end of the season there was something that was referred to in the media as the colored championship of the nation Now. It isn't technically a Negro League World Series. I don't know if it was something that was formalized, but that took place between the New York Black Yankees as serving as the home team and the Pittsburgh Crawfords. And this was a series that went between Patterson and Pittsburgh. And, you know, unfortunately, because of the time, things were not formulaic in the Negro Leagues. So this series actually took a longer period of time than we would be used to for what would be a seven-game series or a best of seven. So what interesting things happened during that time is that during that stretch of that series, there were some gaps. So to kind of keep things going, the local promoters in Patterson uh, decided to schedule a game with the Philadelphia Stars. So very strange that you would schedule a game in the middle of what is a championship. But that's what they did. Turn out that that game ended up getting rained out. So the long and short, then the series with the, uh, the Pittsburgh Crawfords continues and the New York Black Yankees win. So now those that are the promoters in town feel like they have a pretty hot hand. They have a hot ticket, the New York Black Yankees say, remember that game against the Philadelphia Stars? Well, why don't we reschedule that? So then they rescheduled that as a one game winner take all for the colored championship of the nation unfortunately, Philadelphia won, I think it was like 14th to six. So, so the New York Black Yankees were kind of champions for like two weeks <laughs> or something like that. So that's one of kind of like the unique details of not only Hinchelope Stadium, but how the Negro Leagues kind of operated, but not really operated, just kind of just how it played out. Because really, they're just trying to play as many games as possible, especially when you're talking about a relatively young stadium, they're trying to get as many events there as possible. But that series with both pittsburgh and philadelphia really springboarded the new york black yankees in 1934 to be the home team on a semi-regular basis things were going well and they stay there for a long period of time now they weren't the
2: only considered home team for uh, Hinchliffe Stadium. There's also the New York Cubans also played there.
3: Yes, correct. Uh, the New York Cubans paid, played part of 1935 and a very large part of 1936 at Hinchlip Stadium. In fact, they were very popular in Patterson, so popular that during the 1936 season, uh, they went on, on a West Coast swing. Now, how far west can you really go? I think right. probably <laughs> Kansas City, right? So to, to make sure that the local fans still had their baseball, They actually worked out a deal with a team called the Mohawk Giants. The Mohawk Giants are a team based in the Albany, New York area. A, I would, not, not to disrespect them at all, but they're more like a little bit of a lower grade team. Think of it as like if they were to be a minor league within the Negro Leagues. So they were a very good team, but they weren't in the upper echelon of like your New York Black Yankees and New York Cubans and New York Eagles. Speaking of the Newark Eagles, they also played home games there as well. And uh, I, they played that, I'm not sure exactly the reasoning, but remember they were sharing a stadium with the Newark Bears of the International League, the New York Yankees Triple A team. So obviously there might have been some scheduling conflicts, Patterson being rather close to Newark. I think that was an obvious uh, sure. there. So, sure.
1: now, Brian, you know, when, when in history, when you go to these places, these old homes and things like that, And Mm it says Washington slept here or, you know. So Hinchcliffe Stadium has had some pretty significant people. They didn't sleep there, but they certainly played there. And Uh so I'm going to ask you to name some of the players that have played there, the Mm -hmm. uh, Hall of Famers, as well as entertainers that have have performed there. So give us some background on uh, who's actually
3: performed there. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously you want to talk about some of the greats of the game, right? So Josh Gibson, he actually hit a home run in 1934 against the New York Black Yankees to end their eight-game winning streak. And of course, Pittsburgh not being so far, he actually uh, played rather off, often there with the Pittsburgh Crawfords. Of course, there's cool Papa Bell when you think about the Pittsburgh Crawfords, Oscar right. Charleston, Judy Johnson. So these are players that play there for sure. Going back to the New York Cubans, Martin DeHigo. Man is enshrined in not one, but five different halls of fames around the world. And he took the hill at Hinchelope Stadium. Uh, There's a player named Elmer McDuffie, a little less known, but he was a great pitcher in the Negro Leagues. He pitched for the New York Black Yankees and the Newark Eagles, not in baseball's Hall of Fame, but certainly a guy who who deserves a little more recognition. In fact, he pitched a no-hitter in 1935 against the House of David. I want to talk about two very important guys, Monty Irvin and Larry Doby. Right. And they're important not only because of who they are as ball players, but how Hinchliffe Stadium is really a big part of their, their respective lives and collective lives because they were teammates uh, with the Newark Eagles. So we'll start with Monty Irvin, 1937. He's invited to a tryout at Hinchliffe Stadium with the Newark Eagles and, of course, makes the team. Go now, fast forward to 1942, Larry Doby, who's from Patterson, New Jersey who was from Eastside High School. He he lettered in four sports, baseball, of course, football, basketball, and track. So Larry Doby tries out for the Negro Leagues. Now, this is 1942. He's just graduated high school. He's a young man. And the way the story goes is there's an umpire in the Negro Leagues named Henry Moore. Henry Moore, of course, being an umpire in Negro Leagues, had developed a nice relationship with Abe Manley, Abe being the owner of the Newark Eagles. So I can almost imagine a conversation that goes to the effect of, "Well, you know, Abe, uh, you're going to be up in Patterson playing the Black Yankees. Why don't you take a look at this kid, Dobie? And 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 I, you might surmise, well, maybe as a Negro League umpire, perhaps he officiated some high school games. Maybe saw him play in person. So this uh, this umpire is very key to Larry Doby's life. Of course, he tries out for the Negro Leagues in 1942." does amazingly in, in typical Larry Doby form and makes the Newark Eagles. He plays the rest of the summer with the Eagles under an assumed name, Larry Walker. So I guess in theory, there are two Larry Walkers in the hall of fame, <laughs> but you know, he maintained that amateur standing because he could have gone to college. He had the opportunity to play basketball in college. In fact, he played professional basketball for a short period of time as well, but Larry Doby and, and, and talking about like your comment about George Washington slept here. Well, with Larry Doby, I feel like with him, he is synonymous with Hinchelope Stadium. I think every great historic site has a champion, has a hero, has that historic figure that's synonymous. It, it's, it's, it's right next to the Great Falls within that national park. Alexander Hamilton is that for the national park and for the Great Falls. Larry Doby is that for Hinchelope Stadium. Wow.
2: It wasn't just made for baseball. You had actually entertainers there. And another New Jerseyan, I think from Patterson, played there. And that was Lou Costello.
3: That's right. So uh, Lou Costello, uh, another proud Pattersonian, another favorite son of of Patterson. Yeah, he's uh, he performed at Hinchcliffe Stadium. A lot of times it was actually uh, before boxing matches. Uh, Lou Costello was a big boxing fan and and they would be a a part of of those routines of that entertainment of kind of getting the crowd warmed up. Joe Lewis actually was a guest referee at Hinchcliffe Stadium for boxing matches. Uh, In fact, Johnny Vandermeer, uh, you might remember Johnny Vandermeer. He's, he's from local nearby, I believe it's Midland Park, the man who pitched two no-hitters back-to-back, the last guy probably to ever do that, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, when he was in town, the Cincinnati Reds, to play the New York Giants, he brought some of his teammates over to Hinchelope Stadium to watch boxing. It was a great boxing venue at that time, and a lot of uh, a lot of people went there. You may have heard of a fellow named Babe Ruth. He was at Hinchelope Stadium to watch boxing. In fact, I had seen... There's a ticket out there somewhere, a beautiful boxing ticket in the shape of a glove that's autographed by Babe Ruth. Boy, I'd love to have my hands on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, th- absolutely. Luke Costello is a, is a big person. Uh, Duke Ellington actually performed one of the last concerts of his life there in 1971. He was on, on a bill with uh, Tito Puente and, and Vaughn Monroe. Sly and the Family Stone performed there as well. Uh, Tina Turner uh, as well. So those are some pretty good names that had performed there from the musical aspect.
2: Wow. Hinchcliffe Stadium, not just uh, baseball and concerts and boxing, but football also. Um, That's right. Sure. Who, uh,
3: who was Hinchcliffe and, and
2: uh, how did it get this name?
3: Sure. So that that is named more for the family, supposedly. So at the time that Hinchcliffe Stadium opened in 1932, the mayor was John V. Hinchcliffe. And 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 to be clear, it was actually referred to as City Stadium when it first opened. So it didn't receive the lane name till I think 1934. But when asked, you know, is this named for him? Well, he said, well, no, he said, it's really named for my uncle, who also served as mayor during like 1903 in that time. And there was a huge, great flood and the great fire that really impacted the city. And he was a big person that, that really helped the city get through those times. So uh, John V. Henscheliff decided to say no. That's for my uncle John, who's also you know named John. That that was really for him. But the Hinchliffe family—they were big brewers in town, so the Henscheliff Brewery is a very big, big business in town. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, surprised if Henscheliff beer was served at Hinchliffe Stadium.
1: <laughs> so Brian, tell us a little bit about your background um, mm-hmm. and how you how you got involved with this.
3: Well, for me, it's it's rather simple. Uh, i was born and raised in patterson i grew up about two blocks away from hinchelope stadium and have a great affinity for the game of baseball i think if you took any one of those elements out of the picture i'm probably not speaking to you right now i think all those three components were big factors for me to to really take an interest in in the stadium and and do my own independent independent research to really be able to speak, you know, knowledgeably about the stadium and and explain to people why it's so important. So that's what I've spent my time doing over the years and, and really kind of speaking to folks like yourself and anybody who's willing to listen so that we can move the stadium forward.
1: I've seen a lot of articles. Uh, I don't know where the, where the construction
3: stands. (laughs) Sometimes I don't either.
1: (laughs) You know, I have, I, I we, we try and steer away from any kind of politics on this show sure. or controversy, but <laughs> there I, I did see there was some controversy surrounding it, the stadium because the, it's such an investment that needs to go into it to restore sure. it. And there were some people, some politicians or whatever that felt that it wouldn't the return on the investment would not be justified. So I don't know, you know, where that stands is construction heading, uh, you know, going forward, and, and, mm-hmm. and that's the controversy's all over with. Where, yeah, where do we stand?
3: I would say we are hopefully almost out of the controversy as it stands today. And of course, I have to preface by saying I'll believe it when I see it because remember, Hensel Stadium closed in 1997. A person born in 1997. Would be graduating college right about now, so that that gives you kind of some perspective as to how long it's taken, and that's t- and that's typical Patterson, quite frankly. It's like molasses. So where it stands now, and my understanding is, supposedly construction starts this fall, according to my calendar. That's September twenty-first is fall. So hopefully it will be starting soon. We'll see. I mean, I'm definitely going to keep tabs on that and you know, uh, really kind of keep my uh, pulse on, on the subject matter. And the goal is that the stadium is to be opened at some point in the year 2022. Most likely it would be nice if it was July of that year to kind of have that symmetry. That might be very interesting, but uh, that is currently the plan as it stands today. I hope that's the case. I see it, uh,
2: I saw a news story recently. It's part of an overall project where you have Income uh, housing, restaurants, kind of revitalize the whole place.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, remember, this is within the boundaries of a national park. You have so many people that are visiting uh, national parks. I mean, let's face it, the national park brand is very strong. They do a great job with interpreting history and and the different sites they have around the country. So we're so glad that, that Patterson is a national park city. But when people go to the national park, at least in recent years, Really, I mean, yeah, they, they take a walk. They might spend a few minutes there, but the goal really should be is to keep that active audience there. I think you keep them there by having an active Hinslow Stadium, by having, hopefully, maybe a Negro Leagues Museum annex, having a, an event space or restaurant space. I personally believe like something like a food hall would work well. I think that they have that a lot in New York City, not a food court, like in a mall, but like a food hall where you have some really great food, some really great beer, some really great barbecue. Am I right, folks? (laughs) That's right. So if I could wave a magic wand, there'd be a brewery right behind Hinsfield Stadium. There's some old mills that would be very good over there. So you really do have to have more than just a stadium. And you folks know that if you've traveled to the stadiums recently, whether it's major league or minor league, what they've done in Atlanta, that should be the business model for almost any sporting venue, where you have live space, workspace, entertainment space, and the ballpark. And I think that's where you, you really create this, this destination, this neighborhood, this one-stop shopping for everything. I think that can happen in Patterson on a smaller scale, but uh, only time will tell.
1: So Brian, we put this podcast out, we have some very loyal uh, listeners I mean we could tell that because you know it, technology being what it is now, you could see where people listen and yeah. you know we get the we get these areas where people listen and we consistently get these areas our our listeners are growing and we don't get behind something that we don't believe in. we don't promote products that we don't believe in and we love baseball history. that's great. Man. our listeners, Love baseball history. That's one of the reasons they listen to this show, right? So we want to come in and we want to help to get this. You know, whether you know, continue it, add to it. So where are we coming in, and what can we do, and how can our listeners, if they want to donate, mm-hmm. if they want to learn more about this project, sure. How do they do that?
3: Well, here, here, here's the situation. As I mentioned. Looks, it, it appears as though the stadium is on its way. That's, and, and, and as a side note, that's through tax credits, which is just fine. And the situation with that, though, is I'm trying to remind people why Hinchliffe Stadium has the opportunity for these tax credits, why it has the opportunity to have a second life. It's because of the Negro Leagues. It's because of the African-American history components at Hinchliffe Stadium. If you look at pictures of Hinchliff Stadium, and I invite people to do that, Hinchliffe Stadium resembles... The Major League Park most, people ask me that question, which one it is? It's it's the Polo grounds. It's a horseshoe-style stadium with a baseball diamond on, on one end, on, on the lower end of the horseshoe. Well, to me, if that's where the Negro League's players played, then home plate needs to be returned to that location. The current plan doesn't call for that. They're going to have it at the location where it's been since 1963, which puts left field at about 500 feet and right field at about 200 or so that's not good for competitive use so why even do that you're better off having like the polo grounds something in the dare I say ballpark of 280 down the line in a deep center field and Mm -hmm. I thought well if if the polo grounds were good enough for Wooly Mays well I'm pretty sure Hinchcliffe Stadium could be good enough for anybody (laughs) (laughs) do you need money well, I, I don't think, I think the stadium is at, at, at the, in the position where the, the developers are going to be taking care of that financial piece. I will tell you that over the years, it's been very difficult to try to get people to invest in Hinchelof Stadium because of the ownership piece. It's owned by the Patterson Public Schools since 1963. And quite frankly, you know, it's difficult to justify donating money to a school district that pretty much neglected their property. So that's been the really the big struggle over the years. You know, our role in all of this was, we're being advocates and we were grant writing. But as far as fundraising, it's difficult to do when there is an entity that really just did not care for the stadium. And there's also mismanagement. It was, it was also operated by the state of New Jersey. So there was a lot of moving parts that would let people say, mm, I don't think this is gonna be the project for us. So I think this is right now, this is the only option so something is better than nothing. I would have preferred a national RFP. But I think what maybe you folks and maybe your listeners can consider, and maybe we can partner on this, is really kind of beating that drum, saying home plate does need to return. There are over 20 Hall of Famers played, many of whom played in the Negro Leagues. I just ask you just for a moment, just imagine this one thing. Imagine a young African-American ball player from East Side or Kennedy High School, the two schools in town standing in the same batter's box as Larry Doby, the, the local hero. And if the coaches properly explain that and teach that, that's invaluable. And mm-hmm. when you think about historic sites, it is the intangible value that is so important. And, and, and it's also better for competitive play. Um, uh, it's really sad that, that those that really are rather indifferent, and, and unfortunately uh, Patterson's current mayor, Made a comment to that effect recently. I read he said that he didn't, it didn't matter to him where the baseball diamond was, but yet he con- constantly bandies about the Negro League history. He's brought on uh, Harold Reynolds, a great ball player, one that I admire as, as an ambassador. His father, I think, was a bat boy in the Negro Leagues. That makes him a great ambassador for the stadium. But I'm, I'm hopeful that we can all rally together and say, you know what? Let's do the right thing, let's put home plate where it belongs. And it's something very symbolic and there's something nice about coming home, right? So in some ways these Negro league players get to come home by having home plate returned to its proper location, not only for historic perspectives, but also for a baseball competitive use. I mean, imagine a situation you guys might remember, New Jersey rarely had minor leagues many years ago. Then we were inundated. Now we've lost teams in Newark. We've lost teams in Atlantic city, Kansas city, Sussex County, now we have one back there again. Mm-hmm. Team at Yogi Berra Stadium in, in Little Falls, which is near Patterson. Imagine once a year they play a game against their rival, the Sussex County Miners, and they wear the Negro League uniforms. That's what they did at – that's what they do, I should say, at Rickwood Field in Birmingham, Alabama. Patterson should want to be like Rickwood. And I think for whatever reason there's hesitation to try to emulate other communities, but you know what? I think sometimes you have to learn from the best, and, and I think those are, are the best. And then going back to my comment about minor leagues, I think what could be a good business model at hinslow Stadium might be the college wood bat league formula, like similar to Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Cape Cod is, is is the best, but I think that could work because again, you don't have to pay the players, and it still has that minor league feel.
2: The, the high school you say, it, it, it's owned by it's used by Patterson High School or schools there. Do they yeah, have public schools? Public schools, High school championships, I don't know, little leagues yeah. maybe. Have, have uh, is
3: that going to be part of the youth going forward? Well, I, I think I, I hope that baseball will be part of that use. I think I think they have to really accept the fact that having having the student athletes play there is going to be very important, not only to the individual athletes but but just to the messaging of of, of this very important place in Patterson. So yeah, that that is the hope. But let's let's also be understanding of the fact that. In order for Hinchliff Stadium to be sustainable, you have to have revenue generating events come in there. Sure. I think they really need to understand that, or else I mean, high school baseball typically is free, so you're not really gonna charge for that. High school football, maybe you charge a few dollars. That's not going to sustain a stadium that in twenty twenty two will be ninety years old. Right. Yes, you're gonna rehabilitate it, but let's not make let's make sure it doesn't go back to the way it was as far as the dilapidated state is
2: right right you know you mentioned go see some pictures definitely Google Hinchcliffe Stadium there's yeah. plenty of pictures on there and you can see how it was back in the day when it was used back in the in the 30s you can Absolutely. tell uh you know where the home plate was at one end yeah it looks
3: and that, that that's what I'm trying to to express is that with that arrow that, that you're seeing right now I'm sorry I don't have it available for me here I don't know if you can get it on there and I'm not sure how it really, really works but I will say that that is where heroes played. that's where hall of famers played you have to go back and bring it to there because if you start bringing people for tours of pincliffe stadium and you don't have the correct diamond out they're going to say well where did, is this where the negro leaders played?" no they played somewhere else well what do you mean they played somewhere else you know it's, right. you have to be accurate and i think again returning it even if someone is not history-minded at least from a competitive standpoint It's a lot more palatable to have short lines and a longer center field versus 500 to left and and right figure. Well, Brian,
1: what's, okay. So what is, other than us going in at night under cover of darkness (laughs) and moving the bases around and doing our own work on the field. Yeah. What is stopping the home plate from going where it should be and then also tell us about the website you have for friends of Hinchcliffe.
3: Sure. Yeah. So first uh, talking about, you know, where where the issue is, my understanding is for whatever reason, see they're trying to put too much into Hinchcliffe stadium. They have, you know, part of the renderings is on the opposite end is putting a softball field there, which is all well and good. They're trying to, to maximize it, but I think they're doing too much they're putting a track at Hinchliffe Stadium that would not even be high school regulation. So now if you put a track that doesn't have high school regulation and and a baseball field, then what are you really doing? I don't know if they're going to go away from the track idea. They probably won't. But I think it's really this lack of understanding. And, And unfortunately, it's still owned by the Patterson Public Schools, so they still have a say in it. Unfortunately, it should be owned by the city, quite frankly. Because a city, you know, let's, let's put it this way. A school district has one responsibility. That's to educate students. A municipality covers a lot of different areas for a city. And some of those areas would be historic preservation, economic development, and community development, all of which touches Hinself Stadium. So the city of Patterson should really be the owners. But not certain why, but this current mayor refuses to abandon, to incorporate the abandoned properties ordinance. The stadium has been abandoned for 23 years in fact the school district dumped snow into the stadium which you know you think about all the contaminants that are in snow just so that they can have their buses um be picked up it's like well, if the stadium was active where, where would you put that snow right i mean now they park buses in there they park big park trailers in there they weren't really treating it like the national historic landmark that it is right so uh, but yet again it's you know I, know, I know you said not to really go too much into the politics, but unfortunately when it's owned by a public entity <laughs> mm-hmm. of politics with the board of education, you have it with the city council, you have it with the mayor and, and, and even the state office of Historic of preservation to to a, a degree from years ago. So it's a tough deal. I think we're, we're, we're getting toward a better place. I'll keep saying it again, though. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> How has
2: Bob Kendrick involvement uh, been involved? Have been involved.
3: Well, let me tell you. Uh, Bob Kendrick has been a great sounding board over the years. I reached out to him via email many years, and had always been very responsive and always very interested in in, in knowing and learning about what's going on with Hinchliff, as well as his, his colleague, Dr. Doswell. Always wanted to hear about what the latest was. Was invited to come to Patterson when the National Historic Landmark plaque was presented, and and we appeared as you mentioned recently with. New Jersey city university, he, his enthusiasm is just contagious. It really is. I mean, I can tell you, I've been so jaded about the Hinslow stadium project over the years, but you know, kind of kept going, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's Bob and, and others that, that have that kind of enthusiasm to make you kind of keep going. So certainly always uh, great to talk to Bob and, and, and we're hopeful that, that he would consider uh, Hensel stadium to be a a Negro Leagues Museum Annex. They're already building space for interpretive area, and I think that's half the battle. So if the building's going to be built, maybe maybe they come in with that interpretive piece, partner with the Park Service, I think that would make a great partnership there. I think they would welcome the Negro Leagues Museum and vice versa. And imagine that, a Negro Leagues Museum Annex at a Negro League Museum within the boundaries of a national park. I mean, I think it doesn't get any better than that.
1: Right. And, and I know you have a website How it, where people can learn more about it.
3: Um, yeah, yeah, we've, we've had some issues with the website lately. I, I, I'm not a web person. I'm actually going to par- probably partner with someone to help with that. Friends of Hinchcliffe Stadium, I'm sorry, it's um, HinchcliffeStadium.org, so there's still some information available on there. There's also Friends of net. that my colleague, Dr. Flavia Laya, was, uh, was trying to create as well, uh, just to have as an alternate site, just for something a little different. But uh, those are areas you can look at as well. I recommend also doing some, some research on, on articles that have been written uh, over the years, which you, you can find um, with a Google search. And maybe even seeing not only this, this you know, share this with other friends, uh, what we're doing today. And also, hopefully, uh, New Jersey City University puts out a link to what Bob Kentrick and I did uh, recently.
2: And I should also say there's an article, a great article on the Sabre website on, on Hinchcliffe Stadium. So that was a very, that's a good resource as well.
3: Absolutely. I mean, you know, those folks really understand that, the importance of that history. I know that they have a Negro Leagues uh, portion with, within Sabre. Oh, I was at one of their annual meetings in Newark a few years ago and, and spoke there. Great group of folks that that really um, really have that great interest. And that's what's important about keeping that information alive and available to people. But I think the most important thing is really teaching young folks. And I think that's where I hope that the Patterson Public Schools, at least at the local level, can teach about its local Negro league uh, facility because i think that's going to be very helpful for for kids locally to to really understand that what their town was and, and how great Hinchcliffe stadium was as a Negro league venue and and i think we have to as people who engage with young people just share those stories you know you start them young and then they learn about it and then it becomes contagious they
1: kids Hinch, stadium has a wikipedia page so if it has a
3: wikipedia page
0: <laughs> <You> know, <it's
3: laughs> it does. It does. I, I may have put some entries in there myself. I um, haven't seen it recently, so I have to double check to see what the accuracy is. But absolutely, there's some interesting information there, especially uh, I'll, I'll throw a little something. You might want to be interested in seeing the controversy of the National Register of Historic Places designation. It's That was a big blunder back in 2004 that actually cost Hinslow Stadium uh, some money through Save America's Treasures program. So there's been a lot of uh, stumbling blocks for Hinchcliffe but it is a remarkable survivor of neglect. Uh,
1: I would just say also I saw a New York Times article on the stadium.
0: So yep. A lot of information not, out there.
2: Uh, a lot of information on the web so check it out. Hinchcliffe yeah, Stadium. I, I'm looking at uh, right now uh, a poster of, of Hinchcliffe Stadium of New uh, York Black Yankees and New York Cubans. It, it's, it's
3: terrific. Absolutely. Yeah, I know, without a doubt. I mean... That's the one behind you. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, that one there. Yeah, that's oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Larry Doby. That's actually uh, a great poster that, that actually the National Park Service put out. And the National Park Service, they have been great partners. Uh, just a little hello to Darren Bach, who's the superintendent over there. Elise, she does a great job. They're partners in all of this. I think Richie as well. At the end of the day, you know, the National Park Service their role in this is to interpret Hinchcliffe Stadium's history. Unfortunately, the stadium was not involved within the first designation of the park. It had to actually go through an act of Congress, literally. So we're grateful to uh, Bill Pascrell to force the issue and to make sure that Hinchcliffe Stadium was included within the boundaries of the National Park. I'm really glad. I, I feel I still think it should have been there since day one, but I think I think that ownership piece was something that was a little bit of concern for the National Park Service, but still, I think it should have been there since day one. But it's there now, and uh, we're glad. And then, and then this hat too—that's that's part of the National Park Service. We're glad for that. The, you know, the mug as well. So, I think these are things that are very important to uh, to help you know to help put that history out there. We need we need we need all, all hands on deck for sure.
1: <laughs> well, we're ready. We're ready to assist in any way we can.
3: That's so great. you know we're <laughs> like us. I think. Way. I think. We should really, you know, offline, we should maybe think about, I don't know how petitions really work or if they even get any leverage, but you never know. If we get enough names out there, then that becomes a news item, then maybe that forces the issue. And, and, and maybe you got to embarrass people a little bit here because it should be a no brainer that that home plate where Doby and Josh Gibson and, and Oscar Charles Cool Papa Bell and you name it played there. Roy Campanella actually played there, believe it or not. Young Roy Campanella, age nineteen. Wow. Unfortunately, yeah. every at bat he struck out. But hey, he's not—you <laughs> know—he's probably really nervous up against some great ball players. Yeah, I, I think think that's the next step in this movement because again, the stadium seems to be on its way, which we're we're, we're really happy and grateful for. Which again, I'll believe it when I see it. But now is the time to really make sure that they get it right. And right. I, I can cannot stress enough. Home plate has to return to its rightful location.
2: Well, Hinchcliffe is, as you said, one of five remaining Negro League stadiums. Save Hinchcliffe. Brian, we really appreciate you coming on with us. And we will hear, help you any way we can.
3: That would be great to continue this, this conversation with you guys, you know, offline. And let's keep this going. And Maybe we can have another show again where we're, we're calling again. And we're saying, hey, we were successful. We got them to do the right thing. That home plate has returned to Hinchcliffe Stadium.
1: You got it. Thanks, Brian. Brian was amazing. I hope that that stadium that, you know, that's what they want, that they bring it back to its glory. We happened to go there after the interview. We went to Hinchliffe Stadium. We did. Check it out on YouTube. Right, we posted things on YouTube. The stadium, it's it's sad when you go there. When when you go there, you know, you, you feel, you can feel the history. You know, you look around, you can feel the history. But it's almost like when we were kids, there was that commercial with the Native American on the horse. And he's, you know, he, as he's riding, he sees all the litter. And that tear comes out of his eye, right? Yeah. That's kind of how I felt when I was in Hinchliff Stadium. Because it's in such, you know, disrepair. And it, it's such a beautiful part of history. So hopefully, I, I, if anyone's going to make it happen... It's going to be Brian. Hopefully they do.
2: And with that, we would like, thank you for joining us on this episode of Baseball and BBQ. We will be back
1: next week with another episode. But until then, here is Baseball Always Brings It Home. From the poet and the musician, Dave Dresser and Shell Krakowski. Thank you for listening.